Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, just you and me this morning. I assume Ronald's like busy ransacking the Ashland University football building to get his costume together for this weekend. Um, do you have any updates on that? Um, do you have any updates on on Ronald's costume-making ventures vis-a-vis I, the football uniform? I don't. There was an Instagram post or series of Instagram posts earlier this week. Uh, you know, their church does a fall fest kind of thing because churches can't do Halloween and yeah. and and so his those pictures of his wife in her costume you know he mentioned it was her and friend doing sort of a bald theme so there was like a Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan and some and some different ones um yeah. Ronnie was conspicuously absent from these photos so mm-hmm. i don't know if that means there's going to be like a big reveal later or he he hadn't quite pulled it all together or what the plan was or is but no updates yeah. on his you know, neck roll number 55 costume. Yeah. Like Ronnie being absent from photos is a sentence that I, I don't think I've ever heard in my life. So that gives me concerns. Like maybe he's sick, you know, maybe we it, need to check in. What's well, he's never met that, a camera that he's shied away from. Yeah. I mean, him being absent from photos is a little bit like Kanye being silent. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's something big coming down the pipeline, possibly big, controversial yeah. might be, right. might get him canceled. Let's find right. out. Exactly. No, you're right, man. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what transpires if we actually get some some Ashland football shots from Big R. But pipe, we have uh, we have radio to do regardless. Um, And we're going to do that radio right after this quick break. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Piper, back. Um, you had a great idea for kind of what to talk about today. We're gonna we're gonna walk through each of us, sort of our histories with church and our histories with the church, um, and where we've gone over the years and what those experiences have been like. Um, but you mentioned something off the air that I was really intrigued by. You gave a talk recently to a high school group about deconstruction and not deconstructing. And I just as a speaker, as someone who speaks to high school kids somewhat frequently, I wondered how that went over. Like what was what was their reaction to it? And it could be like stuff that people said to you afterwards or nonverbals or whatever. Like how how on their radar is that issue? 
Yeah. So the most recent one I did was to youth leaders and that's a whole different audience. And then, and then I've spoken, you know, I have spoken on sort of faith and doubt and I don't use the term deconstruction when I'm talking to teenagers, because as I told their leaders, I don't think any teenagers deconstruct because they haven't constructed enough to actually deconstruct. Like this is all just Mm. formation, not, (laughs) not changing anything. So, um, when I talk to high schoolers about faith and doubt, I usually feel like I'm talking to, um, it's a little bit like lecturing the dogs that live in my house. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of stare at me blankly. Sometimes they get up and walk out of the room. One of them is locked in real intently, but probably because there's food at the end of it. You know, there's there's some real similarities there. <laughs> yeah. But and and the only thing that gives me a sense of like, this is worth it is A, I know that you know, anytime you speak truth from God's word, it you're mm-hmm. planting seeds. And that is yeah. my that is my sole hope when speaking to high schoolers is like, I'm going to say something that they'll remember down the road. They right. will come to life. The other is there's usually one or two kids who come up with real pointed questions afterwards, either because they want to argue, which is fun, not yeah. to argue with them, but to sort of redirect the conversation. Because what you, they want to argue, but there's usually something underneath it. Or with the really sort of like embarrassing personal questions or th- what they think is embarrassing. They don't realize how normal it right. is to be like, hey, um, I've been to church my whole life. I don't I don't know what I think about the Bible. Right. They're ashamed right. of that question. And in reality, you're like, that's a it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't be ashamed to ask that because if you don't ask it, it's going to eat you up. So those, those are the things that are uh, that I kind of I come away with and go, well, that, that was worth it. It was a lot of blank stares, a lot of wandering out of the room, and then and then <laughs> yeah. two or three interactions that yeah. that I go, okay, that there was there was life in the room. The Lord did something. No, I, I think that's spot on, and that's definitely been my experience as as I've spoken at these camps and things over the years. And um, yeah, as I get older, I think I get more paranoid about like um, if I'm doing a good job with that age group, you know, and and wondering even what that looks like. So. Um, I'm always up for for tips, yeah, on, uh, on how to connect there. Well, I don't. I mean, you and I talked about this. Maybe, maybe we did sort of a. Maybe it was after one of your your camp, camp speaking recap. engagements, yeah. and sort of talking about. It, I think it's gotten harder to speak to high schoolers because high schoolers mm-hmm. have gotten worse at listening. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that like the grumpy old man, but just sort of the the data of like how technology and and thirty second video clips have changed. Yeah attention spans. Um, I will say talking to youth leaders is a whole different environment. Um, So I, I spoke at a, at a conference that called rooted, which is, Mm -hmm. it's a really, it's a really good ministry serving people in youth ministry. So not sort of the fun and games and bells and whistles, but really Mm -hmm. discipleship focused and, and, and meaningful. Um, Those people are hungry like desperate to figure yeah. out how to more effectively serve adolescents. Yeah. Because I think they, they do it every day and they feel the same thing we're talking about. How do you get through to them? And then yeah. there's a sense of sort of not panic because they, you know, they they trust the Lord, mm-hmm. but close to panic because they, they constantly feel on the edge of losing the teens, you know, that yeah. they, they, and, and so, being able to offer any sort of reassurance, any sort of encouragement, any sort of insights and not sort of silver bullet, you know, yeah. told, do these two things and everything's going to be great. But just, hey, remember these these foundational truths. Yeah, you can you can almost see a visible sense of um, of relief land on some of them 
And they're yeah. like, oh, right, right, right. I had, I had lost sight of that in the Dude, midst that's of so my good. panic. Yeah, absolutely. And even just as the the cultural and like publishing winds have blown over the last 20, 25 years, like nobody's talking or writing about being a youth pastor anymore, except to make fun of it. You know what I mean? So like all the sort of books and resources and encouragement that used to be out there for youth pastors, that's all going to like, I don't know, church planners or whatever the sexy thing is to be now, like all the focus is going there, but yeah, there's still, and I meet them. I'm, I meet guys out there who are like slogging away at youth ministry and, and they tell me what they do for a living. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that still exists. That's still a thing, you know? And, and, and there's almost a sense of uh, embarrassment now. Yeah, it seems totally. like, like it used to be sort of like, yeah, I'm the youth guy. Now it's sort of like, I'm, I'm you know, yeah, they're I'm saying the like a guy in a whisper, like out of the side of their mouth, you and know, then they, then they wait for the jokes about whatever, what yeah. the jokes that are probably dated at this point, because honestly, I, yeah. I'm sh- I know that that version of youth ministry still exists. I was at a church several months ago that does sort of the, the big bells and whistles youth ministry. But yeah. most of the people in youth ministry I know are not cool people. Oh, or, 100%. Yeah. I should say they're not trying to be cool people. They're just, right. they're there for what, exactly the reasons you would hope they are. They're like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to I wanted teach teens how to love Jesus. Yeah. I want to exemplify it. I want to build friendships. I want to give them exactly. a safe place to be honest. And you yeah. kind of look at that and you go, that's, I think those are all that's the right really ingredients. Noble. Yeah. It's really, it's really admirable. In fact, like I see more kind of ridiculous 45 and 50 year olds in my life trying to be cool. And that's way sadder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, like the 28 year old or 30 year old guy doing youth ministry is really just typically a hardworking working. Well, dude trying to get it right you know? and and it's it is it's so hard no no teenager thinks any old person is cool they either trust no. them or don't trust them and that's not yeah. based at all on coolness anymore and yeah. kids see right through that so if you walk in yeah. and there's there's a genuineness about you you're gonna work even if you're the dorkiest person right and if you're trying to be cool you're either going to draw the wrong kids or for, you know, for, for the, you know, it's going to be a super shallow thing, or they're just going to be like, yeah, I don't buy it. You're full of crap. And uh, so it's, yeah, the, what works for, what works for people our age and older, the kids aren't buying, you know, so the set, the sexy pastor thing is completely, they just did one big eye roll to to people under the age of 25. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, can I ask you a question on coolness? Because I've I've always kind of been interested in this topic. Like, could you identify even a couple people who you think are actually cool? Um, and the reason I ask this, like, there's a there's a section of my feature writing class where we watch like part of an episode of The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy's cool. You know, like. Everything he does is cool. He looks cool. He looks cool while he's playing. He looks cool while he's doing an interview. But beyond that, I can't think of too many people. And in fact, Jordan was not cool at relationships. I don't think anyone would say he has a lot of friends um, or he's even especially well-liked. So, like, who's cool, you know? Well, it's hard to say because I don't think there is a cultural standard of cool anymore cool used to be trendsetter yeah you know like 
everybody wanted to be Jordan. You know, Miles Davis yeah. was like king of cool because Miles Davis yeah. was doing music and and had a vibe about him that other people didn't have. Now cool is an attempt to be like other people. Yeah. And and so and that never resonates. You're always like, well, that's derivative. And yeah. and the, and and when people try to be original now, they're weird. You know, mm. Prince was cool. Like who's what is yeah. original now? Everything is so, like the boundaries of 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 everything have been pushed to such a level yeah. now or to such an extreme now that you're like, I don't know, you just y'all are just weird. Which means I think cool is more about charisma and sort yeah. of chill self-confidence. Is somebody comfortable in their own skin? Like Tom Hanks, cool. I agree. Because it which is funny because he gives off none of the cool vibes yeah, that would have been think so. true in nineteen ninety-three. But he's Yeah. Right. Like he's not he's not coming over and talking about Yeah, like, and like you know, new, nor is like you don't watch him walk down the street like and he's, go he's like being Tom there's Hanks. an aura yeah. about that guy. But he's everybody likes him, everybody trusts him, he's genuine, he's got a reputation as a uh as it's just like one of the nicest men in Hollywood. And there's sort of a sense of like, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and right. I kind of feel like that, I mean, that's a positive trend. If, if that, if that falls in the category of cool and something we can aspire to. Yeah. There's, there's not a, when I think about all people who have sort of stereotypically been yeah. cool, all of them are people we would want to knock down a peg now. Um, you even see it in like. Yeah, that's true. Because when you see someone who like knows that they're cool, that's the person. I think we even mentioned this on like, I don't know, some conversation about who we want to make fun of a couple of weeks ago. Like when I see someone who's like clearly puffed up on their own sense of how cool they are, I just want to like, you know, savage that person. Yes. And usually I do. When, and you, can, you can see it in like advertising. You know, it used yeah. to be that. You, you put a famous person in advertisement and their very presence was cool enough to sell a product or to, to make people interested. Now you get like yeah. Johnny Depp doing these weird, like, what is it? Aqua de Joe. Uh, yeah, where he's like playing a guitar in the desert or whatever. And it's yeah, and, and ridiculous. Like, and it's, I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be sort of ironically cool. Yeah. But yeah. it definitely isn't like it, it, it there, there's just irony layered with, with layers of irony there. Or like the, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the the Lincoln commercials with the all right all right all right uh oh yeah McConaughey. that guy yeah yes and uh, so they th- those you know he's like whispering these long diatribes about I don't know freedom in in the yeah, wilderness like lyric poetry about about what makes a good life as he's like waiting at a train tracks in his Lincoln yeah you know? and yeah. and like that I I mean. I guess there's supposed to be a coolness about that. And in reality, you're like, this is, this is absurd. Nothing yeah. about this is cool. Right. So, right. Yeah. I, it, I, I think what is cool now is to undermine cool. Yes. However, and I'll, I'll give you one. And I think you're going to agree with me on this. So like, remember last year when Gardner Minshew got into a couple of games and he got to play against the jets and he led like, a comeback and his dad was in the stands and then somebody took that video of Minshew like giving his dad like a huge hug after the game and they were so fired up like that was cool I'm like that guy's cool um I don't care what context we're in if we're like you know waiting for an airplane together at two in the morning in Newark that guy's cool he's gonna be a fun hang you know he's completely comfortable with who he is 
he's wearing a bomber jacket, you know, he's got a mullet and a mustache, and he's he's just doing it because he enjoys it. That's a cool person, you know. Um, so that that struck me as pretty cool. Where are you at on like something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that that sort of moment. And again, that, it, yeah. there, there's a Tom Hanksiness to that. I'm going to use right. him as the he's the Mendoza line of cool. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. And be, because there's a genuineness, you can tell. Like if somebody seeks out their parents, parents yeah. are never cool. And so yeah. if somebody seeks out their parents to respect them, to love them, to celebrate with them, there's just, you look at that and you go, oh, that's, 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 that's genuinely cool. Yeah. That's not, yeah. nobody's posturing here. Right. Um, right. But I'm also, I mean, we've talked about this so many times on the show. I'm also super jaded by the curation of moments. Totally. And yeah. so if, if you can tell that a moment just happened, it wasn't curated and there's genuineness in it. So like I saw a story the other day about, um, you know, uh, Kentucky basketball had their blue and white game. So it's an inter-squad scrimmage, mm-hmm. but it's, they do, I think they do them not in the normal arena, but like places where fans who couldn't normally go to the games can attend. And it's a big deal yeah. for, for Kentucky fans. And yeah. there was a, there was a guy captured on camera in, uh, he's wearing like an orange, like a bright orange work vest, gray clothes, and he's just covered in coal dust. Dude, I saw that. At the game with his like six-year-old son. It was his son's first yeah. Kentucky game. And so he came straight from work to be there for his son's first game rather yeah. than going home and showering and missing part of the game and you know right. diminishing the experience. And and again, now at this point, it's an overtold story. But the yeah. moment where you capture yeah. this and you're like, that's a good dad having a cool moment with his son. Like that guy... That guy's yeah. a guy you want to be friends with. That's a cool guy. Oh, absolutely. And the garbage element of that was that someone was there with a camera to ruin it. And then a whole bunch of other someones used it to like, I don't know, do whatever they were trying to accomplish. And that's why the the runway from something genuinely cool to everybody getting jaded and burned out. Like it's like a half a week, you know, it's like two and a half days. And what a shame, you know, because that that was and is a genuinely cool move by that dad and a genuinely cool moment. But like everybody, you know, using it and then being burned out by it. It's such it's such a short runway, man. And I hate that about the world we live in and, and even myself. Like I hate how sort of critical I get of things and and how quickly it happens. You know what I mean? Um and I think well, and of things keep, that are definitively worthy of, at the very least, a thumbs up, probably yeah, totally. worthy of praise. Like that dad deserves respect because 100%, dude. coal miners, I don't never been a coal miner, but by the impression that I have is that they work really hard. Yeah. Just <laughs> shout out to that guy for putting in like a full hard yes. day of work, you know, and, and which and is gets, like a revolutionary act anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's busting his tail, gets off work. And the first thing he thinks is, well. I can't take a moment away from my kid. So it's his first, yeah. his first game. This may be yeah. the one opportunity they're going to have this year to do this thing. And so he goes and does it. If more dads did more things like that, uh, there would be a lot, there'd be a lot more, you know, good men in the world because the sons would grow up better. And yeah, all that's worthy of praise. And also I'm tired of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. No, it's fascinating the way that happens. And uh, Pipe, we should take another ad break, and then we'll come back and talk about the thing that we had planned to talk about, 
We'll be back in two and two. All right, Piper, we're back. Um, the suggestion that you made via text was a good one to just kind of walk through our histories with church. And I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want to kind of back and forth it, like start in early childhood and work our way up through it? Because I'm guessing for both of us, with all the kind of moving around that we've done and the different career stuff we've done, we've landed in different cities and different contexts and uh, had different experiences with the church. So get us started, man. Like earliest childhood memories of church, of the church. Yeah. What do you got? Um, I mean, I have I have zero memories in life that are not uh, kind of in the either the shadow or the glow of church, depending on. Yeah you know, how you feel about it. Cause my, my dad became the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist church three years before I was born. Um, yeah. so I was born, uh, Holy week of 1983. And, um, so I think I was born on Maundy Thursday. Well, okay. you know, my, my, my dad and brothers were at the Maundy Thursday service, which was the thing that we did back yeah. then. And my mom was at the hospital. Um, Wow. I think my dad left the service to go to the hospital for my birth, something along those lines. Yeah, but, yeah. um, so, I mean, I, I grew up in it and we lived my whole life within walking distance of the church, same house. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, the church was, I mean, we were, it, it was, it was not just a thing that we did. I mean, it was like, it was, it was the neighborhood. It was yeah. the playground walking over to see dad at church. You know, it was an eight minute walk, 10 minute walk, something like that. Yeah. Riding the bike over, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And by and large, I, I love church growing up. Um, yeah. I mean, there were, there were definitely uh, pressures and difficulties, especially as a pastor's kid. And I'd written about all that, but for the most part, I loved church not always for the right reasons. You know, I think I loved, I think I loved access. I loved yeah. feeling special because my dad was the boss. Yeah. Um, those kinds of <laughs> yeah. things that kids feel where you kind of, you're just a little cooler yeah. than the other kids because, yeah, sure. because you you know, your dad's, your dad's famous in this tiny circle. And, yeah. uh, but also like all my friends were through church. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, and that, that kind of hasn't changed. My closest friends have always been through church, not yeah. work, not school, etc. So that was, I mean, I, and I was at that, I was, I was at that church yeah. uh, from birth through high school graduation when I moved away and went to Wheaton. Yeah. Um, and, and at no point did I, did I wish I was at another church. In fact, I mean, I think about like in youth group where they would do like the, the big youth group get togethers, like youth conferences or lock-ins yeah. at the, you know, the big sports, you know, with the batting mm -hmm. cages and all that stuff. And I always just resented the other churches I was like, these are mm. so like, look at these lame youth groups. Ours is so much better than this, which is again, <laughs> trash attitude. Yeah. But, but there was a sense of sort of fierce loyalty there that I, I really, I really loved the church that I grew up in. Um, oh man. Yeah. It, it, at least relationally. I think my relationship mm -hmm. with the Lord was at a whole other place, but the church and my relationship with the church was strong. That's great, man. And that's really endearing and it's really refreshing and good to hear. And I would say by and large, my my relationship with it was similar. So like early, early childhood, I grew up in like a truly a small town, right? So there was no college. There were no like kind of cool churches. Um, we were a little cornfield town in the middle of nowhere, blue collar, Indiana. And when I was really young, we went to 
just like the Methodist church in town, uh, because it was one of the only options to go to. And I remember like going to Sunday school classes there and doing like super early childhood stuff there. And, and like, it was a cool building. (laughs) That's one of my only recollections of it. Um, and most of my friends, dads, you know, were around and went to church there. And then, um, probably, I don't know, fourth grade or so we transitioned to the church that your friend Mark is the pastor of now, Mm -hmm. but at that time he wasn't the pastor. Um, and it was kind of a bigger church in the town where I ended up going to college and same deal, dude. Like most of my good friends, my best friend from like, you know, grade school through high school I met there and uh it's interesting we we hadn't talked for a long time um just life took us in different directions and we had like a 90 minute phone call a couple of weeks ago and he reminded me that like we had this Sunday school class where the teacher was really really old and he was really hard of hearing <laughs> and he was just like I'd have gotten in so much trouble well, that's the thing we did. He was so he was so old and hard of hearing. He, and he was just like reading through the Old Testament. Like it was something really dry like that. And my buddy Russell was like, that's where we started trying to be funny together. Like that's where we started doing bits and like started trying to entertain people. And he and I were sort of those guys throughout. And, you know, we were both kind of townies. So that church really kind of serviced the intellectual elites of the area and their genius progeny. So it was all like Taylor profs, Taylor kids and Russell and I were kind of townies. So we sort of bonded over that. Um, I don't remember in the early years, the teaching being terribly robust, but I do remember like I would just, I would sit in a pew with my buddy Davey and like, we would just draw. So I remember drawing like scads of pictures during like the early years of church and youth youth group was kind of an exercise in like the cool people being cool and the nerdy people being nerds. And, you know, I don't remember much of the teaching. I don't know that there was much, but, um, to your point, it was just a place that I liked going. Um, you know, my parents were involved there and And your parents are still involved there, right? Yeah. Still involved there. Yeah. And, and then at some point, and I don't know the the whys of all this, right? Like they they've never told me a lot, but at some point, like late high school, and then through college, they moved to a different church in Muncie, and that was sort of my first brush with super super reform people because it was a it was a Presbyterian church. They actually had a really good pastor uh, who was a really good Bible teacher, and I remember being impressed by that. But I also remember in true reformed fashion, the services lasting two hours, they would do like all 72 verses of whatever song they were singing at like an absolute dirge pace. You know what I mean? So it was like, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. If, if a song could embody like a really slow person, like shuffling along and like looking at their feet, that was, that was the, all that pops into my head right now is the hymn. Oh, sacred head now wounded. Because yeah. when you say dirge pace in 72 verses, that's the one. I, I don't know. And maybe I'm scarred from childhood, but just like it, it is the most funereal of hymns. And so yes. that's in my mind. That's what I'm hearing right now. Well, yeah, dude. And like it, it's the kind of musical experience where like 
the dude hits the first note on the piano and then there's a few seconds of silence before the second note and you're just like, oh my gosh, this song's going to take 11 minutes. I could like go home and cut my grass and come back and they'd still be like, you know, wrapping it up. Or if you're Ronnie, you could get on the phone and set up an appointment to have your grass cut and then come back and they'd be on the second verse. If if you're Ronnie, you could run home and tape a Hey Guys video and three selfies and then come back and it'd still be going. And uh, yeah, and even like... The Christmas Eve service at this church was like that. So, like, I remember sitting sitting there with my dad during the Christmas Eve service that's dragging on upwards of two hours, and we're both just like, dude, I can't wait to get home and eat. I can't wait to get home home to the snacks, you know? And, like, oh, um, oh, yes. it was just tough, dude. I, I would not have, like... You said snacks. My entire my entire existence in church from birth through age 18, well, maybe probably age two through age 18, was an exercise in uh, finding and scavenging snacks to survive the endlessness. I love yes. church, but also I yeah. was there for hours every right. week. And so, I mean, scavenging snacks, poaching the church kitchen, digging in people's offices. Like, I mean, I was, I was a yeah, full on like, like sweet. I, I found a granola bar. You yeah. Know, like I was a me for a half hour. I was a yeah. full on like capuchin monkey, like climbing in people's offices <laughs> to be like, what kind of trail mix do you got at the back of this cabinet secretary? And, uh, I mean, I just, that's how I survived. Yeah, definitely. You're like sweet. A half eaten bag of those like huge loud pretzels that people ate in the nineties. You know, this, this will be great. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and it was, it's it's like preparing to run an ultra marathon. And that was my first brush with like, am I just an idiot? Like, is there something wrong with my brain where I can't pay attention for two hours? You know, because I didn't know anything about like actual communication theory and research. You know, I was just like, man, I must be broken, you know, and then you get into adulthood and every other person is like, no, that was a tough hang. You know? <laughs> And it's like, oh, good, I'm normal, you know. Um, but at the same time, and this is this is the weird calculus of reformedom, right? At the same time, that was a really good church, and like the teaching was really amazing. And I remember learning things about the Bible and kind of having it come to life for me as a young-ish adult for the first time, and being deli- somewhat delighted and intrigued by that. Like, oh, I like the Bible, you know, like they, I'm learning things and this is good. It's just that I have to sit through like an hour and 20 minutes of like front matter before I get to that part, you know, and uh, I don't know, far be it for me to know like how to do church effectively. But um, those are some early memories. And then like, so I got married early. I got married at 20 and then we started moving around and kind of trying to figure out the church thing on our own, which got interesting. And, and you know, as adults, we started gravitating toward reform theology and those kind of churches. And, you know, probably the biggest and longest rep that we got with that was it like early career Kevin DeYoung's church, mm-hmm. um, which was a wild ride, dude. Um, and, and kind of same deal, you know, trying to figure out who they were. His teaching was really good, but there were a lot of young people who were in this super obnoxious throes of like cage stage Calvinism all at the same time, uh, which is yes. kind of a recipe for disaster. And and we were, you know, we were of that group and it was just weird trying to figure that out. Cause there was kind of a, and I'll shut up and let you 
respond to all this. I've been talking for a long time. But the, there was kind of a sense of excitement connected with being with the in crowd. But you knew it was going to go really bad as soon as you were not on the inside of the in crowd, which is exactly what happened to us. And much of it, a large degree of it was my fault. Which is exactly um, like movies about high school you know totally especially in the 80s and 90s yeah yeah absolutely like there are great there are distinct parallels between cage stage calvinism and like mean girls (laughs) this is the same dynamic right it is it's a bunch of people like high on their own virtue and really too immature to like handle what they know sort of when they know it and oh here's the real shame of it to me and I got to preface all this by saying I ruined it at that church. Like I ruined it for myself. I ruined it for our family. It was my own sin that, that undid much of it for us. But there was also this sense of, you know, like, so everybody's like 20, 24 to 29. Right. And just high as a kite on their own virtue. And the, the shame of it was, we had a bunch of really wise, really cool old people in that church that were kind of trying to sound some alarm bells, but nobody was listening to them. And I remember every once in a while, like grabbing a burger with one of these old guys and being like, oh my gosh, this guy's super cool and he knows a lot. And he's telling us to pump the brakes on all this stuff. And like nobody listened and it was just a shame. Um, but you're, you're spot on with the mean girls thing for sure. Yeah, I, w- I mean, what you just described was sort of the uh, that that uh, pumped up on your own, puffed up on your own virtue and, and the arrogance. And that I, I mean, I, I would put myself firmly in that uh, category from ages like 18 to 25, seven, something mm-hmm. like that, um, mm-hmm. because, I mean, having grown up in, in John Piper's church as John Piper's yeah. son, I, I just walked into Wheaton with a different uh, I mean, I I have never lacked confidence in my own personality. And then you stack on top of that the last name that people recognize and a, a pretty substantial theological education just by default. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I was such a jackass. Um, <laughs> I believe it. And and so like church wise, I I was looking for a church that measured up. Which, of course, yeah. what does that even mean? Because the funny thing is, I didn't really like my dad's preaching. I kind of, because mm-hmm. no, no kid just loves to listen to their yeah. dad talk for 40 minutes ever. Yeah. Um, and I did it. I was forced to do it weekly. Or listen to anyone talk for 40 yeah. minutes ever. But when it's your yeah. dad, like, you, you hear, you just hear, like, the first tone of voice. You know, it's like that note in the hymn, and you're like, oh, this is going to drone on endlessly. Um, yeah. And so you just kind of tune out. But I did absorb a lot and learned yeah. how to win a lot of arguments. Yeah. And uh, and so I was looking for a church that sort of checked the boxes. And of course, yeah. I didn't have a sense of like the boxes ought to have to do with wisdom and virtue and kindness. And how mm. did they love their neighbors and those kinds of things? I was it was just doctrinal, you know. Yeah. And so I ended up at a church that was very uh, MacArthurian in, in mm-hmm. its in its culture. Mm-hmm. Really, really intent on teaching the Bible, which again, yeah. you, you can go a long way just on doing that, but eventually your your culture will catch up to you. Yeah. And a really thriving college ministry that did have a much more kind of vibrant, loving, mm-hmm. rich culture of discipleship. Um yeah. 
but I, yeah. And so, and so, but my, even my reasons for being there were, were iffy in terms of arrogance and yeah, yeah. absolutely. What you just said in, in terms of the, uh, the, the puffed upness, like I was just so yeah. proud of what I knew mm-hmm. and so kind of demeaningly dismissive and disappointed yeah. in those who like the comments I made about Arminians at that point in my life are, you know, it's the kind of things that if they were read back to me now, I would absolutely hang my head in shame. Like what, yeah. what a pretentious jerk. Um, yeah. And so that, I mean, that was kind of my, my, my uh, posture towards the world and church. However, because, because God is, is kind, I, that church was really, it was a, it, it taught me a ton about life in the body um yeah because it's it's i i met some absolutely wonderful people who who just they were faithful christians they were hospitable they were gracious they were patient with this uh punk kid um i spent a couple years in the college ministry and then two or three years working with their youth ministry and helping lead that and met awesome families and had, you know, had that amazing experience of, you know, pour, you know, I'm like 21 pouring into like a 16 year old, 17 year old. Yeah. Well, that kid is no longer a kid. He's now a peer of mine pastoring in Connecticut. And he was a train wreck of a 16 year old then. Sure. And now he's, now he's uh, leading people uh, to Christ. And you look at that and you go, well, he said, he says, I played a part in that. My recollection is, I don't have, I don't have a specific, I, I mostly look back on those years with embarrassment, but yeah. Uh, so it, all of that. And then, uh, so, so, I mean, it was one of those like mixed bag things. And I ended up leaving that church because of some significant leadership issues, uh, amongst mm-hmm. the eldership, um, kind of an entrenched leadership arrogance, what, what would today probably be called spiritual abuse, but that wasn't a term that existed yeah. 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Right. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and then ended up at a, at a church called college church in Wheaton, which is right across yeah. from the campus. Yeah. And, and was there for five or six years. And it's another one where it's a congregational church. So really different structure, much larger mm-hmm. church at that point is maybe 1500, 2000 people. Yeah. Um, very much like a wealthy, really well organized upper crust kind of church serving serving Wheaton's yeah. evangelical elite. Yeah. Yep. Which I yeah. resented. I was yeah. again in my arrogance, I resented that. But looking back on it now, I'm like, you know what they did? They just ran a faithful church like clockwork. They they did what yeah. they did well. They didn't try to be anything they weren't. Are there things about the church that could change and be better? I'm sure. It's always the case. Yeah. But the things that I disliked about the church were much more on me than on them. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And like, as I look back on my life, that's definitely a theme. And yeah, I, I, I would go into a church like that and have the same sort of kind of blue collar chip on my shoulder. But then you think of it and you realize like, you know, the Wheaton cultural elites need a place to worship too. And they need somebody with the horsepower that's a really tough crowd right and the and the taylor crowd was tough in the same way and the union crowd is tough in the same way right like where i am now so you've got to have somebody in the pulpit that has the horsepower to sort of stay with those people because those are the most well actually people on the planet like speaking to a room full of you know 
genius in their own mind faculty is the is so tough and so at wheaton you've got genius faculty you've got a whole bunch of guys with rich guy disease which means i've done well in one thing and now i think i know everything about everything so you've got rich guy disease you've got you know arrogant genius faculty like i i doff my cap to anyone who can like pastor well in that environment and um and we need churches like that right so well, and, and I discovered a couple of things while I was there, and then one or two things in retrospect. One of them was a, a lot of those a lot of those faculty who are perceived as genius elite approach church yeah. a lot more like you know you know the parable of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee yeah. is like thank God I'm not like that guy, and yeah. uh, they approach it a lot more like the tax collector. Mm. They're they're geniuses in their own right, but there there are so many at least. It, amongst you know good Christian faculty who approach it yeah. much more like you know have mercy on me oh God a sinner and they recognize yeah, their own right. foolishness and their own limitations yep. while being one of the best in their field whatever that field is yeah. and say so the other thing was that that period of life for me was was one where I went through probably my my biggest crisis of faith mm. Uh, mm. due to my own sin my own arrogance kind of all that stuff catches up to yeah. you listeners it if, if it hasn't yet it will and <laughs> yeah. uh and i wrote about this and helped my unbelief and and uh the elders at that church taught me what shepherding somebody looks like um mm. you know i've been around good pastors and good elders to some degree my whole life but that when when two of them basically just one kind of clamped either arm of mine mm. metaphorically speaking and we're like we're just gonna walk you through this time yeah. um we're yeah. we're gonna we're gonna see this thing through, yeah. Um, Man, I had the I had the exact same experience at Kevin's church, same deal. Like lowest point of my life, sin wise, um, and in same thing. I had two older guys, one of whom was a counselor, the other of whom was a factory worker at GM, who like yeah, literally took me in and took me under their wing and kind of nursed me back to health and. I owe my life to those guys, you know, it's worth its weight in gold. So yeah, as I look back on that, there's like, whatever the opposite of angst is, like, is, is what I feel toward those guys in that church, even though the church was far from perfect. So I think this is, to me, man, it's emblematic of how the gospel and, and how Christ makes all things new, right? Because yep. there would have been years in that church where I was so bent out of shape over stuff and so angsty that I could have never imagined feeling warmth and gratitude toward it, but it's exactly what I feel. And, you know, later in life here, we've settled into, I think the kinds of reformed churches that we always wished were out there, like good theology, but with a heart, <laughs> you know, and good theology, but with humility and, we found one our last couple of years in Michigan. We went to a church called uh, Covenant Life Community Church, and man, they were great. And some of the dearest people in my life I met there. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of kindness, a lot of humility, great teaching, great body believers. We loved it. And by God's grace, we've settled into a, a similar church down here. Um, Cornerstone Community Church here in Jackson, which we just adore. And and I think it's it's interesting, and I, I want to hear your take on this. Having been in Reformedom for the last 25-ish years, 
I see these churches settling into a good groove where all of us who were arrogant, puffed up a-holes 20 years ago were now like in middle age and it's kind of like they're kind of making youth group fun again. So like the the trend in reformdom was to have, and this was like early in my kids' experiences, it was like, hey, pull up to youth group. You're going to hear another boring 50-minute sermon, you know? <laughs> and my yes. kids would always come home, and they were like the Michael Sarah meme. You know, they were just sort of like deflated, like, hey, how was youth group? Well, they just collapsed we, on their face. Yeah. Yeah, we got another nine-point sermon from a kid who's in seminary and wants to sort of tell the whole story of the Bible in one, in one shot, you know? And like... um but now it's sort of it's sort of landed in a place where they're having some fun at youth group and um yeah it's just it's vibrant and healthy and I'm I'm really happy to be there you know just really really happy to be there and um I want to serve and I want my kids to serve and I want my kids to love it and I think for the most part they do and that's just a really rich experience you know yeah it it really is i mean it you, you think back to, so you think, just thinking timing wise, you, you are a few years older than me, not a ton older than me. Mm-hmm. So like when the, when the whole young restless reformed thing took off 98, yeah. 2000, 2002, kind of that, that window mm-hmm. of time, that was my high school into college career. And then when it like exploded yeah. into an industry, it was like college post-college. So kind of, yeah. and when your last name is Piper and that's going on, there's just a certain sense. I mean, it, it's sort of, it's sort of a, it's a bit of a. Uh, split personality where on the one hand you resent everything about it yeah uh because you're tired of people recognizing your last name but then on the other hand there's a lot of ego in it you know because everybody recognizes your last name and and that was that was definitely the case for me but we we basically rode the wave of that thing so the explosion of everybody falls in love with this doctrine and kind of loses their minds about it yeah and then there's the downfall where like the hollow doctrine starts to fall apart and the hypocrisy mm-hmm. comes to bear. You know, you start mm-hmm. to see like, oh, these people we respected so much aren't actually great people. Um, some yeah. of them are, but they were the OGs, you know, <laughs> so they, they're the yeah. ones who predated this thing. And yeah. uh, and now we're at the place where like, I think that what was good about the doctrine, which was definitively good, remains definitively good, has always been good, is 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 still being held on to. And and people are just a lot less impressed with the the movement aspect, and they're like, "We're not a movement. We're we're the we're just the church. So yeah. we're going to be yeah. cornerstone. Was it you say cornerstone community? Is that yeah? Yeah. So we're going to be cornerstone. We're going to be Emmanuel. We mm-hmm. we really want to see God do great things. But the only way we know how to do this is preaching and loving our neighbors and creating a context where people can drag their their whatever difficulties are in their life in here and just sort of appropriately being the church." Uh, yeah, much more marked by humility than branding and, and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And, and it, and it works because people like you and I, and so many other people just got the pride stomped out of us. Yeah. I mean, in this, so co- true, in this conversation, both of us have talked about a time where our sin mm-hmm. ruined something. Yeah. And, and now we're at a place where hopefully we can be the people who walk with the young, stupid kids because they're yeah. every kid, you know, every 20 year old is dumb um, yeah. through things and be patient with yeah. them like older people were gracious and patient with us and and so mm-hmm. forth. And it, yeah, I mean, my, my hope is that we stop 
we we don't hunger for movement as much as just let's let us let's let let's build the foundation, be steady, be faithful, and like let yeah. let God handle the movement side of things. You know, if He wants to start yeah. a tidal wave with something, great, but mm-hmm. we don't need to we don't need to engineer this. We yeah. just we can just be what we've discovered through all of this stuff. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Amen. That's so good and so true. And yeah, that's exactly what I want us to be, you know, and it's, it's such a good word pipe. We should probably call it done. There's, there's more good stories that we could tell about church. And maybe we do like an episode two at some point, like there's a whole strain of this and we should do this when we're, when we're together the next time, like all the little experiences that KK and I have had living overseas and getting to see the church and people who love Christ and love the Bible, like operate overseas has been really rich, but I could do another hour on that and you probably could too. So, um, we should call it good. We should say that we've wandered to and fro and until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry. Your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus. So ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.